Welcome to the JLA Cask, a podcast in which we used to revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic written ever written, one issue at a time. Now I'm not 100% sure what we're doing. <laughs> I, I'm not even 100% sure what I'm saying. I'm tripping over my words, but my name's John and I'm a writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars and we are off to our flying start this oh, week. Oh, it's a weird energy. You should have heard PJ like off air. Like, you know, he, he was literally like he was using expletives. He was so I did. He was so fired up for getting into this I, episode. I did a That's big not swear. like him. PJ's a very gentle person. He's not he's not an aggressive man. Uh, and yet there was aggressive language. That's how that's how excited he was. <laughs> I am quite excited because we're sort of stepping into a weird unknown period and while we finished the arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written which only leads to things that are worse than it to look at. <laughs> it's it's something I'm I'm very excited to do to be honest because it's revisiting I've read J- Morrison's JLA a lot. The other stuff we're starting to look at now, I've either never really read or it's been a long time since i read it uh um i'm in the uh first camp here i have never read final night and so this yeah it's completely new for me um mm. yeah it, it, it's, it's funny isn't it because you know we've we, we've been having like big plans about where, where to take the show from here and um you know it, it, it's really an embarrassment of riches trying to work out where we go next and I'm kind of glad that you you did suggest we went for something like Final Night because I don't think I personally would have ever picked this as something to to explore. So it's a completely new experience for me. And that is kind of interesting in itself. Yeah. You know? So the Final Night, I think, is a bit of an odd one. See, I, I feel like it's almost one of the forgotten DC crossovers of the era because obviously it was one of their weekly event books i think it was in the november uh, october or november of whichever year it came out and it was the the weekly main title and then all the tie-ins in the middle and for a few years afterwards it got referenced a lot there were there was a lot of fallout from this event in the entire DC universe um especially for superman and uh, the green lantern books mm-hmm. and then a couple of years after that, all the fallout from Final Night... Oh, Green Arrow as well. The, the Final Night is responsible for Oliver Queen coming back from the dead. But mm. then uh, once you get Oliver Queen back and that storyline, Final Night kind of just gets swept away and everything that happened in it is sort of forgotten. Yes, it's weird, isn't it? Now, uh, I guess we'll probably talk about the impact and legacy of this story maybe a little a little bit down the line, perhaps, mm. when, once we've kind of finished this particular uh, run. But, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting in a way, I guess, I guess how important this series is for a number of reasons. 
Uh, yeah. Because I think uh, maybe in the moment, and maybe I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but like it doesn't feel that momentous. No, when you were visiting it. No, and I I did I bought this trade that I've got in the late nineties when I was just buying. I worked in Waterstones and I would just buy so many graphic novels, just get them ordered in and devour them and. I bought this one because I was aware of Final Night because it at that point it was a big deal. It mm. had happened already, but it was referenced a lot in the comics I was reading, and so I thought I need to read this, and so I just ordered it, and and yeah, and I've that, revisited it a couple of times, but not recently. Was that pure? I mean, like, were you on the internet at this point? Like, were you reading about this stuff online, or was it purely just because it was referenced in other comics that you knew about? It, it was purely because it was being referenced in in other comics. Huh. Wow. Well, kudos for you for being so proactive in going out and tracking it down. Because, as we've said many a time uh, on this show, um, that was a little hard mm. if you lived in the UK and didn't have access to a comic shop. It was easier with DC because Titan back then were already publishing their reprints of DC graphic novels. Essentially, oh, it was course. the same paper stock and everything. They just slap a Titan logo on the spine instead of DC. Um, although this one does say DC, even though it's got a Titan sticker on the back. So some of them are also just clearly DC ones they got from America and then sold. Uh, but it meant I, I was mostly buying... I bought Marvel as individual comics from a local comic shop, but DC, I was heavily buying the trades and collections through my staff discount at Waterstones. Um, speaking of Titan graphic novels or trade paperbacks, um, I had a lovely experience just yesterday. Oh, um, where um, my uh, my partner in crime at Big Punch Studios, a uh, Mister Nick Angel, uh, was uh, <laughs> setting up a studio, hmm. uh, which is very exciting uh, in in our neighbouring town of Gloucester. And I'd gone over with him to view the premise, premises like you do. And after that, we had a little tour of Gloucester because, you know, I, I live in Cheltenham. Gloucester's just down the road. It's this weird kind of like twin cities kind of thing. Mm. And um, I grew up just outside of Gloucester. So my early days of going into the town, uh, into a town at weekends, it was Gloucester, which was it, it was a bit concretey, a bit grim, particularly in the 90s. But I would often go into Oxicas and then later Waterstones and I would look at the graphic novel section. That's That was really where I began. That's that's where I first discovered JLA. That's mm. where I first discovered Grant Morrison. Uh, so my, my memories of Gloucester are very much like it being concrete, grey, kind of depressing, but leaving with a graphic novel. Yeah. <laughs> which was nice. Now, Gloucester's improving a little bit, has improved a little bit over the years, but... We found a tiny little kind of comic-y, geeky uh, hut in the covered market. Oh, okay. Hiding behind like a fishmonger's. Mm. And I found volume one of Shade the Changing Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> by Peter Milligan and Chris uh, Batchelow. And I snapped that up in an instant because hmm. I... Uh, I've always been aware of Shade. It was one of like the Vertigo titles I didn't actually own. And honestly, PJ, it was like, well, going back in time in many ways. But for me, it was like going back to 18-year-old John discovering 
Vertigo comics, weird DC graphic novels. And I just, I don't know what he says about me, but I think I enjoyed reading volume one of Shade for Changing Man potentially more than any book I've read in the last five years, which is bad. <laughs> it's it's weird, isn't it? I feel like, you know, <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> um, I feel like nowadays pretty much every bookshop in the UK has a big graphic novel section. You can go in and you can buy so many different comics. Back in the late 90s, they didn't really. You'd be lucky if there were a couple of shelves. And so it meant when you did get your hands on a graphic novel, if you ordered one in or something, it felt just a bit more special. And I love that they're readily available now, but I, I kind of miss that feeling of, oh, I've, I've found something here. Uh, yeah, I I don't know who... Maybe, maybe it was you, PJ. I'm trying to think. I have no idea who was in charge of... Buying in the graphic novels uh, at my local Otticas when I was growing <laughs> up because they had so much weird and wonderful stuff, primarily DC. You know, it, you know, and it's funny how I came to associate DC with being a little weirder, a little more mm. adult yeah. than Marvel, if only because, you know, I don't know, I enjoyed watching the Spider Man cartoon, for example, but. When I go to Oscars to buy a graphic novel, I'm invariably getting some weird Vertigo <coughs> stuff. Like, I'm looking at The Invisibles. I'm looking at yeah. oh, Sandman, you know, and just going, like, what the hell is this? This is this is weird. It was a real kind of, like, comics awakening sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, the 90s. No, I've, um, I've never read Shade the Changing Man either, though. I should uh, I should check that out. I mean, it's, it's really good. And it, it, it just kind of... I, it worries me that I am that stuck in the past. Like I, I, I don't want to be the guy who's like, no, 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 my tastes peaked, you know, kind of 30 years ago and nothing else will impress me. I don't want to be that. But there was a real comfort in picking it up. It was like going, maybe it's because it those Vertigo comics, I arrived at them, you know, kind of like a decade late. But I love them. I love those kind of slightly graying trade paperbacks you'd get mm. on weird paper stock. And it made me think of Morrison's early work. You know, it made me think of Doom Patrol, which I loved. And all the kind of Doom Patrol, Animal Man, all that weird stuff that Morrison was doing. Mm. And there was a comfort to it. And I, I feel like I have poorly served Peter Milligan as a fan over the years. I think... <laughs> I think I need to read more Peter Milligan. I don't think... I've read a lot of his X-Men stuff, but I don't think I've read much else, to be honest. So I think, yeah, I when, need to check when, out Shade the Changing when Man. Was he, when was he um, X-Menning? I want to say the early 2000s. Oh, okay, okay. Um, soon after Morrison left. Oh, do you think when, do you think when, X, uh, when, when X-Men... Do you think when Marvel were trying to... I don't know, write the ship post uh, Morrison. And they were like, we need another weird British writer. Who can we find? I think there was a slight gap between them, like when Chuck Austin and Chris Claremont and Joss Whedon were doing X-Men. I think it's just sort of maybe soon after them, Milligan takes over one of the books, mm. I think. Uh, it's been a while, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he was on those. <clears throat> well, another... Um, it's been a busy week uh, for me, PJ, because I have been at uh, MCM London Ooh, this weekend. Just fancy gone, boy. 
Fancy boy, indeed. Yes, we uh, our grand return to the Excel Center. Uh, we weren't there in May because there was a we we had a friend's hag do to go to. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so uh, the biggest convention in the UK. Yeah, easily. Um, and a an interesting experience because for us, uh, Nick and I were there with our with our big punch uh, scanned. So I was I was selling after I think and some of our other books and. Uh, for us personally, it was our best ever show. Mm. Like there was a real uh, energy to to the show, and like a lot, a lot of people in attendance. Uh, busiest I've seen it in years. Um, and yeah, the only kind of downside, if you will, was that the um, it's it's the new management, it's the it's dealing with the new uh, approach to how the show is run. And mm. sadly, there was a lot of our peers, people that you know pj and i have known for years mm. who who tried to get in and couldn't because they're kind of changing the criteria yeah on what it means to be an indie comic creator it's very strange yeah yeah not happy about that well the weirdest thing is that we didn't get into birmingham which is a smaller show run by the exact same team we were almost certain we weren't going to get into London based on that, but then we got into London, no questions asked. So I don't know what on earth is going on, to be honest. Um, the Because it's now owned by Reed Pop, yeah. uh, the same people who do, I want to say, New York Comic Con and maybe C2E2. Yeah, yeah. I think. So what we used to call the Comic Village is now artist alley uh and yeah i mean the big the big takeaways are that uh it seems to be uh harder than ever for uh kind of indie creators to indie comic creators in particular to get in yeah and also uh fan art is in in a big way right okay. i think yeah I think any restrictions on fan art have kind of gone out the window, really, about what they used to say. Uh, so yeah, so that, that sorry, that was my that was my con report. It is the absolute wild west now. I do not know what's going on. Yeah, let's let's make it harder for indie creators. That's what they need. Well, it it kind of stems. I mean, PJ, like you, you know, you've been in this world like as as long as I mm. have. It, it a big problem seems to be that there are we just don't have the same publishing industry in the UK. No. Like, um, and I think because it's being run by an American team now, I think they're very much gearing it the same towards the same way they'd run an American show, which is, are you an artist? Have you worked for... Well, actually, no, it's like, who have you worked for? Yeah. You know, have you worked for Marvel DC? And I, and I think the UK is very much more a collection of self self-publishers you know people kind of doing it their own way yeah yeah i'd agree and i know we i think we need to have a presence at these shows but the shows themselves just don't want us there it feels like sometimes it's very hard to tell what they do want to be honest because yeah yeah. And, and the saddest part seems to be is that now when you uh when you apply as a as a 
well, I guess as an artist, if you know, even if you're a writer like PJ or I, um, they don't really care about. Uh, they don't really want to see a brand name, or the name of a collective or a company name. They want to know. They want you to be a person. So, I I think we know a few people uh, who are uh, a team. You know, they might just have a. They all operate under one banner, mm. and and they've been rejected purely on that weird distinction that no we don't want a collective we don't actually if you'd applied as you know the trolltooth wars pj hmm. i'd say there's a very good chance you wouldn't have got in hmm. yeah probably so did you apply as big punch or did you apply as you no we learned the hard way uh and so this year we applied as two human beings called john and nick <laughs> which is itself kind of stupid and maybe like a little insulting because we're a team of four people mm. and so to apply we have to almost like downplay the involvement of lucy and ali yeah um which just doesn't sit well either and then, and then the really stupid thing is that we apply as john and nick you know jumping through the hoops they want us to but then um you have to um you know, they say at the start, you know, do you have a, are you a company? Like, do, do you have a business name or whatever? So, yes, I fill in the correct forms and I say, yes, we're Big Punch Studios and all that. But then on the web, so then on the website, they put us down as Big Punch Studios. Okay. Which kind of just, so, yeah, crying out loud, I, I don't know what's, what's going on. Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But still, Thought Bubble next weekend. Yes, you're you're off to Thought Bubble, aren't you? I am, yeah. Not exhibiting this year, but I am going to be there just wandering around and saying hello to people and probably spending too much money on too many comics. Uh, I, I sadly won't be there. So Aww. I'm hope I'm hoping, PJ, that you can you can return the favour and you can give us a con report from Thought Bubble. I don't know, if you're not going, I might not go now. <laughs> well PJ, like to get up to Harrogate, don't you have to drive vaguely past Cheltenham? Well, yes, true. Va- vaguely. I think we're the other side of the seven, the way we go. Well, I was going to say, can't you just save me a lot of effort, which is all I care about? <laughs> Couldn't I just like stand by the roadside and wave or something? <laughs> all right, we'll take a detour through Cheltenham just so you can wave as I go past. Thank you. Yes, you can do like, um, like a, you could be like a minor royal. You can just kind of wave <laughs> from the car as you're going by. Well, yeah, that that's, I'll do that. I'll definitely do that. <laughs> so PJ um we we alluded to it earlier in our little preamble but we are visiting final night this week. We are. We, we are part 1. I I assume it's only part 1. I haven't read the whole trade. Oh well, it's weird. We we're, we're looking at two things really because the trade collects final night 1 to 4, uh, another issue we won't mention just yet, and then the final night preview. The final night preview is a six-page story. I don't know if this was like one of those little comics they give away with Wizard every so often, or if it was like something that was given to comic shops to promote the final night as a little freebie, or maybe it was a short story in like one of those DC Presents books or something like that. I genuinely don't know, but we've got it here. I could... Oh, I'm really annoyed with myself now. I, uh, yes, here we go, PJ. I knew I'd read this somewhere. A special eight-page black-and-white preview solicitation was released prior to the first issue. 
Oh, okay. This is colour. Yes, mine mine is colour as well. So, uh, yeah, it says both. Uh, it was uh, fully coloured and later reprinted in the collected edition. There we go. Okay. So we're going to have a look at that and then Final Night Issue 1 as well today. Um, this is a crossover where... Unlike DC One Million, we don't need to get into a lot of different issues. Um, mm. There's there's only one extra issue in this trade, and only, which means there's only one extra issue that's really relevant to the whole story. And I don't, as I say, it's been a long time since I've read it. Read these the preview in issue one last night in preparation, but I don't remember there being like feeling like I was missing out on anything just through reading the main series, because there are those crossovers where you just read the main book and it's like, ah, oh, this really important thing actually happened in this other issue that we haven't included in the trade. Um, I'm just looking at the dates, and it says it uh, while it was released in September 1996, mm. it was cover dated November 1996. And I just want to refresh my memory... Yes, and uh, Grant Morrison's JLA debuted in January 97. So this is really on the cusp of, of that moment. Yeah, I think Midsummer's Nightmare was happening at this point. Ooh. Uh, I want to say that was like... Sep Sep September 96 Yeah, uh, through to November 96. Yeah. So yes, exactly concurrent with those. Yeah, so Midsummer's Nightmare is happening at the same time as this. Um, this these are The release of JLA 1 and with where Midsummer's Nightmare is are important details to remember in Final Night because if you get down to the minutiae of it, the continuity makes absolutely no sense. Yes, I was wondering about that. I was wondering about that because uh, when did... Uh, I'm trying to think. When did Kyle? When did Kyle's? When did Kyle debut as Green Lantern? Oh, that was '94. Uh, Kyle in the comics, I think, had been around a a year or two when Final sure. Night hit. I was just wondering, like, because obviously, like, there's a lot of characters in this story, and a lot, you know, there's not a lot of interplay between certain players. But mm. I was just thinking, like, this is kind of at the era where, for example, Kyle and Wally should be bickering constantly sort yeah. of thing. Uh, but I don't, certainly not in this first part, they don't really get any time together. I, they don't really get any, I don't think either of them have any lines in this first issue, to be honest. Kyle's, no, that is true. Kyle's present briefly here and there, but yeah. it's There's a lot of focus on smaller characters in this first issue uh, as we mm. go through. Well, I mean, do we want to do we want to dive in? Let's kind do of it. Take, let's, take it as it comes. Let's look at this uh, this six page prologue first, shall we? Uh, uh yeah. So, um, I hope uh, now, PJ. It, thankfully, I'm more informed in my later years than I was as a as a younger reader. But uh, we we are an esoteric part of the DC universe is where we begin. <laughs> yeah, let's let's say that. <laughs> yeah. So we are not. Well, we're not only this isn't this isn't Tamaran. This is new Tamaran. Yeah. Do you, do you know why? Do you happen to know why we lost the old Tamaran? Uh, carelessness. No, I, I genuinely I don't know to be honest. Um, was there some kind of 
major major event how that how that played out not nothing i've never looked into it um, what, what, what are you what are you, what are you doing pj honestly you're, you're meant to know these things i did the first time i read this the only reason i knew who starfire was is because i read this after i'd got the first volume of new teen titans out of my local library ah. so i'd read the first like eight issues or so of that and that's the only reason i knew anything about starfire uh i, I yes i i i'm I'm just culturally aware of Scarfire. Like I, I really, I'm not very well read mm-hmm. when it comes to the Titans. Uh, but uh, w- what we can, well, what I as an idiot can ascertain, PJ, is that the Tamarangs, a proud race, uh, have for whatever reason lost their old planet. Now they're living on a place called New Tamaran, which is meant to be really hot and sunny, uh, but now it's really cold and covered in ice. Yes. Yeah, they, they're apparently under attack from an unseen enemy who's robbed them of light and heat. And Starfire is here, or uh, Princess Coriander, I think her name is. No, yes. that's, a, that's a herb. Hang on. No, no, you're right. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah, but it's, but it's a space herb. Yeah. They've put an apostrophe it's in It's spelled there. different. There's a K as well. So. Yeah, um, yeah. With her husband, I didn't know she had one, Faison, and then her sister, who I am aware of, who's the queen of New Tamaran, Commander. What I find interesting is that while I had never read this story, and I did not know that it was... Stu- uh, I didn't recognise Stuart Immonen's artwork because his artwork's changed a lot over the years. Mm. Um, the picture of Dark Scar on the following page is what I believe they use in the DC Encyclopedia. Oh, Really? Yes, recognise that image right off the bat. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> uh, but I guess as a uh, as a race, uh, they have a queen who is uh, Dark Dark Star, and uh, Starfire is kind of is is like the the backup queen, the princess. Yeah. Oh, is that what they're called? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I can't believe their name is Queen Commander. Uh, I know. <laughs> and. Um, they're having a bit of a crisis because their planet is 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 freezing to death, and uh, they've just captured a spy. Yeah, so a couple of guards bring in this this alien lady, and they throw the items she had with her to the floor. She they call her an infiltrator, and say these are definitely weapons, and ask her to speak. She tries to speak and reaches for one of the items, but the guards shoot at her instead. But Starfire is sympathetic to this prisoner. She sort of sees something in her. That she says she hasn't seen since her days on Earth. Uh, mm, uh, her- heroism, perhaps. Or just, you know, being nice, because everyone else <laughs> in this room is not very nice at the moment. Yes, it kind of makes me wonder why they bother having a, I don't even call it, a war council, or a when when everyone just appears to be a, a, a bit of a bloodthirsty asshole to be honest (laughs) um but they're convinced they've captured a spy uh they kind of imprison this 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 alien woman in a in a in a cell uh nobody seems to be able to understand her she in in comic speak her text bubble is just full of uh indecipherable symbols um but scarfire is convinced that she's trying to tell them something 
and that maybe what they thought was a weapon was actually a translator, which is now broken. Yeah, I actually I really like this character's speech bubbles because it's not like the usual when they put weird symbols in for swearing. There there is something very alien feeling about mm-hmm. the symbols they put in to represent her dialogue at the moment. Yeah, no, it's impressive. Somebody actually drew these, mm. which is nice. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, like um, something they. I don't know. They seem to, they seem to have ascertained that something is attacking their son or affecting their son. I think. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Queen Commander and Faison <laughs> are talking, and Faison, who is a scientist of some kind apparently, has had uh, time to study an idea that Queen Commander has had about um, jury rigging a thermal tap generator in their son. They need heat and power in order to fight back. So she's basically given him two days to make it all work. Uh, yeah, so um, they are they're going to go and attack this mysterious force which is out in space and is kind of bringing about their doom. They don't know anything about it, but they're, they're in a very Klingon-esque way. Uh, they're basically just going to charge at it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and sorry. No, no, PJ, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, and, uh, oh no, sorry, Faison isn't the scientist, he's, I'm confused as to who's who, to be honest, (laughs) here, it doesn't matter so much, we're not going to see a lot of these characters, just spoiler warning, Um, but Faison is a general, there we go, he's only married to Starfire because of politics, apparently, but um, he's going to attack whatever is attacking them, so the Temeranian army launches loads of ships, and all the soldiers are following General Faison into battle. And Starfire says, you know, we're married because of politics, but I've never been more proud of him than I am in this moment. Uh, and uh, it all instantly goes to heck. Uh, the entire force disappears. And the Queen, Queen Commander, Commander Queen, uh, is just getting angrier and angrier at the spy who still supposed spy who is still unable to communicate but she's convinced that uh this is all her doing yeah yeah and then we seemingly just cut to a, i guess a few days later where starfire is now standing in a large graveyard where there are small stones for the names of all the people who died in the attack on it buried in the snow <laughs> uh yeah it it went really badly and uh <laughs> Basically, apparently the Queen has just ascended into hatred, uh, is going to torture the spy to, you know, make her speak, even though clearly she cannot speak their language or communicate with them. Uh, And then Scarfire steps in, blasts the Queen, and is like, no, enough of this. I'm going to free the spy. I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. So she she takes her and puts her in a spaceship, which she launches from from New Tamaran, and then... They do try and chase her and shoot her, but they're not able to get get her because instead they're going to try the thermal tap generator to get heat back to the planet. And then new Tamaran explodes. Yeah, so um, <laughs> one can only assume they may have already lost their previous planet in uh, quite a destructive way. Um now their second planet is blown up, uh, presumably destroying the entire uh, Tamaran race, uh, leaving Starfire to fly back to, I think, the remains of the planet and just go like, 
Oh heck, yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Ex, ex, oh, this this ain't this ain't good. Basically, she, she says she's all that remains, and she also says it was their final night. They in these six pages, they have used the words "final night" three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll have an alternate phrase for it in a few pages, PJ. Yes, as well. <laughs> Uh, however, the uh, the supposed spy blasts off in a spaceship towards a familiar planet that looks a bit like Earth. To warn the next world. And then we cut to uh, uh, Star Labs on Earth, where they have detected the spaceship and it's going to land somewhere near Metropolis. But there are some people present in the lab who are like, OK, don't worry, we're ready. And it is Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. Dun, 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 dun. Who, um, I, even I vaguely remember that they were kind of... Sh- there was a period where some of the Legion of Superheroes were stranded in uh, the, tw- the 21st century, or 20th century at this point. Yeah, and I think they were fairly regular supporting characters for a, a, a few months in the Superman books at this time. And, yeah, we have... Oh, and God, there's so many of the Legionnaires, but, like, we've got Brainiac 28, or whatever he's called, like, Ultra Boy... Yeah. Uh, uh, lightning lass. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, come on, you can do it. Uh, uh, mag magnet boy, <laughs> cosmic boy, cosmic boy, <laughs> and um, Saturn girl. Yep, and Inferno. Oh, Inferno! Wow, go you saved me there, PJ. <laughs> and that's the end of the preview issue, or preview story, or whatever it was. Yeah, um, and that's the end of our episode, folks. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Uh, but in the trade, when we turn the page, at least, uh, we get the cover to the original kind of miniseries, if you will. I don't have to turn the page. I just get it slap bang on the next page. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I'm turning a digital page. Oh, of course, kind of, of course. Sorry, I forgot you don't have a physical book. You're a chump. <laughs> but what I wanted to bring up in my chump-like way is, um, is the uh, DC Comics logo. Oh, it isn't on mine. <laughs> oh well, PJ, you chump. What are you? But I'm bringing this up because it's for classic uh, DC kind of circle mm. logo, which I was quite fond of. Uh, only it has a flaming sun behind it. Oh, that is what I have on the front of the trade. Ah, there you go. There you go. So they put some effort into that. Yeah, yeah, that's quite nice. Uh, and it says Week One Armageddon. Oh, mine doesn't. Oh, mine just mine does say Armageddon, but it doesn't say Week One. Uh, I, I again, we. I think we were saying off air. I'm reading like the 2021 collected edition. And I'm reading the 1998 trade. So <laughs> there's a whole human lifespan between these two <laughs> books, basically. <laughs> the cover is very JLA focused. So yeah, my uh, I've, well, the my trade cover is just like close-ups of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern in shadow. And then the actual cover to issue one is them, again, with Jean as well, but standing on the Daily Planet building in the dark as it snows. Kind of make, gives the impression that this is going to be like a JLA book, yeah, so to speak, which it really isn't. No, JLA didn't exist yet, and we're going to discuss that in a few pages' time. Oh, oh God, you're right, PJ. <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, like, it's it's kind of like an everybody book, not a JLA book. But you're right. Like, there wasn't even a, they weren't even the, they weren't the Magnificent Seven at this nope. point. Nope. Whoa, that's weird. Yeah, and then first page of the issue, straight in with the 
the title, The Final Night, Chapter One at Dusk. Carl Kessel, writer. Uh, Carl Kessel is. I I think he's done some really good stuff. Uh, I really. He. I think it was Carl Kessel who did. Um, a Captain America miniseries where he'd basically written Captain America newspaper strips as if they had been printed back in the day when superheroes had newspaper strips. Yes, I was reading about that before we went on air. It's a really, really good series. I think it's brilliant, and uh, I'll always be fond of Carl Kessel for that, if nothing else. Oh, cool. Well, there we go. Uh, and then Stuart Immonen, penciler, obviously... He went on to bigger things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've met Stuart Imnon. Oh, as really? Well. Yeah, lovely fellow. Met him in Canada way back in 2008. Oh, nice. I remember Different. his run on Thor. I really liked when he was on Thor uh, with Dan Jurgens writing. It's funny how, again, I think back to uh, like my DC Encyclopedia. I, oh, my point is, I, I'm always find it weird when I encounter an artist who was very famous say, like, uh, late 90s, 2000s, 2010s, you know, someone whose work I really know. Mm. And then I'll go back to something like, oh, I don't know, Age of Apocalypse and see, like, their first ever work. Yeah, Or yeah. something like that. And how different it is. Like, um, um, I was talk- talking about um, Avengers and the um, Forever War mm. the other day, which is uh, Carlos, Carlos Pacheco. Yeah. If I'm pronouncing that right. And um, I think, like, his debut or one of his very 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 early pieces of work was like gambit and the externals during age of apocalypse god yes it was i always forget that that's him because it doesn't look anything so so different so different and stuart ibbening's work has changed quite significantly from the from from this comic as mm, well yeah yeah definitely and Kessel and Immanen are our team for the main final. They were the ones on the preview book as well, but they're our team on the main final night book to the end, uh, all four issues. We do get, as, as we said, there is another issue we'll be looking at between issues three and four. If you've got the trade, you already know what it is. But um, <laughs> that does have a different team on it. Uh, but yeah, Kessel and Immanen are our guides through this story. Uh, and then the rest of the team is Jose Marzan Jr., Inca, Lee Luffridge, colorist, um, G- Gaspon, letterer. <laughs> Uh, Gaspar Saladino. Okay, is 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 their uh, their full name? Right, just says Gaspar and in fancy writing in my book, so I apologise. <laughs> um, Ali Morales is the assistant editor, and Dan Thorsland was the editor. None of those are names we've come across yet in our journey. Um, I don't know how the DC editorial offices are organised. Um, I have to imagine this is like uh, some mysterious floor of the building. <laughs> which uh, people forget about yeah <laughs> but yeah we just open on a nice sunny day in metropolis it looks like it's lovely and warm uh, maybe not summer because people are wearing coats but maybe a nice spring <laughs> or early autumn day in metropolis <laughs> the city of hope yeah. as it is described as yeah and there's people just rollerblading in the streets sitting at cafes you know having a lovely time and then something flies over the sun and it is the spaceship the starfire put the alien in at the end of the preview and uh yeah it's uh it's just coming in kind of pretty pretty hard and fast uh kind of skimming across the water of uh you know metropolis bay smashing into uh a jetty which Mm -hmm. is actually quite quite probably like the the best possible result i'd imagine (laughs) um and i do like how there's a recognition that at least in the DC universe, spaceships crashing 
is actually quite a common occurrence. <laughs> yeah, they should build them better. The the only mystery here is not that it's a spaceship, but that it's just a spaceship we don't actually recognise. Yeah, and then the person who comes out of it is also unfamiliar. But Superman and the Legion of Superheroes and the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit are already <laughs> We're here on as well. the scene. <laughs> Remember us? It does at this point it does kind of feel like a Superman book. This is very much the setup for Superman in the 90s. Yeah, no, and it feels that way. And the kind of weirdest thing here, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong PJ, but there appears to be Dum Dum Duggan <laughs> uh, among the uh Star Lab or Super uh, uh, what are they call PJ the, the special crimes unit. Yeah, that is. I can't remember his name. It's not. Um, the only one I can remember is Dan Turpin, the, oh. uh, the special crimes unit. That's not him. That's someone else of the Metropolis special crimes. Dan Turpin and Maggie Sawyer are the ones I remember. I cannot remember who this guy is with the hat. Ben something. But that's only because they say his name in a page's time. Ben Duggan. <laughs> uh, uh, and basically, Superman is is just. Being Superman, basically. And, we, sh- we should uh, say quickly, uh, long-haired Superman. We are in between the return of Superman and Superman as an energy being, so it's in the couple of years where he had the long hair. Yeah, we're going to be bouncing about like back and forward in time, like over over the coming months. Mm. So we'll use Superman's hair as our barometer. <laughs> um, and I have to say, being a slightly more threatening Superman than we would perhaps normally see. Yeah, because he says he says to the alien, for your sake, I hope you come in peace. Because, I mean, it's Superman backed up by the Legion of Superheroes. The Metropolis Special Crimes Unit, they don't really matter. They wouldn't have any relevance to this if it did <laughs> become a fight. But there is another member of the Legion of Superheroes on this, at least I assume that's what he is, on this page that wasn't in the preview issue that I am not familiar with, which is like a little centipede bug guy. <sighs> Do you know what's annoying? He has an entry in the DC Encyclopedia and I can't for life me remember what his name is. <laughs> I think they call him Gates or something later on, I think, but I... Oh. Yes, he might he might be a teleporter. Okay. Oh, okay. I like that actually. I think his name's Gates yeah. and he's a teleporter. That's I, I dig that. <laughs> and he invented uh, he invented uh, Microsoft. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, hello, it's, it's the supposed spy, uh, from ta- New Tamarand, and, uh, she points at the sun and says something that nobody can understand. Yeah, and this is where the Irish <laughs> member of the Special Crimes Unit, Ben Duggan, uh, <laughs> does Irish <laughs> speak. Saints and sinners, Maggie. I'm not doing the accent. <laughs> oh, Bagora. And then Maggie Sawyer says, oh, I wish I could understand him. So... Yeah, then the Legion are all, uh, we could probably help with that. Yeah, and they're also, like, being time travel. I don't know how time travel is, seri- like, deep time travel is meant to work in in the DC universe. Because we- we've seen it with um, Justice Legion A. Mm. Um, but also, like, time and reality get rewritten so often that, like, it's almost like the future is just a- it's just another country rather than actually something that's linked by causal events yeah yeah (laughs) but the legion when they're talking to each other here do refer to the darkest night that took place within a few centuries of the second millennium and they're like oh because they can understand what the alien's saying as well because they've got their translators and they're like is that is that what she's talking about and brainiac's all like nah that's not real uh yeah um so yeah so and also the fact that they have universal translators hmm 
And yeah. so they know they know what the uh, alien is saying. Uh, of course, why they are whispering is a mystery to me because they are next to Superman. Yeah, and he just turns around and says, uh, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, yeah, you're super hearing. Okay. We don't have another translator on us, so we can't really help. So Saturn Girl just jumps down. The alien does point her gun at her because it turns out one of the things that the Tamaranians thought was a weapon was a weapon. Um, <laughs> but Cosmic Boy just magnetically takes it from her hands. And then Saturn Girl goes into everyone's head and makes it so that the alien, who is named Dusk, pretty on the nose... <laughs> <laughs> can understand and speak English. Um, yeah, uh, uh, and basically says, uh, uh, no time, there's no time at all, your world is about to die, the Sun Eater is coming. <laughs> the Sun Eater. That is not something I would want to hear was coming to my world. Is this the first canonical appearance of, the, of any, any reference to the Sun Eater? I want to say yes but i cannot be sure uh because i know they uh obviously there's one in they go on to have one uh, morrison has one in all scar superman yeah um they are referenced in 52 also with morrison's writing on it so i think they became pretty standard after this i think the sun eater is a very morrison idea to the point where it's almost a surprise that it it's not morrison <laughs> Yes, yeah, um, and I, I, there are, I've got to say, there are very few things in this story which I am glad they followed it through to its logical conclusion. If that makes sense, like they yeah. did think out some of the consequences of this stuff. I'm just looking up uh, Sun Eaters on the DC Wiki. Oh, apparently they appeared pre-Crisis. Oh, in Legion of Superheroes. Oh, okay. So, so this is the first post-crisis. This is the first post-crisis appearance of a Sun Eater. Ah, so that's well. I quite like that actually. When DC takes something that was in their pre-crisis continuity that hasn't been used since the reboot, and then does something big with it, I do like mm. that. Mm. No, no, it's impressive. Um, and I guess, yeah, and I guess for many readers, readers, this really would be. It would seem almost like a new idea. Mm. I suppose. Yeah, it was certainly my first encounter with it. So, um, but then we uh, we do uh, a transition to essentially dusk uh, delivering a uh, PowerPoint presentation, if you will, uh, kind of describing how uh, the Sun Eater is coming. Uh, it basically just eats suns, and then any inhabited world orbiting the suns uh, just kind of freezes to death basically and uh, she's seen it tons of times so she is she's come she's just been trying to warn as many people as she can uh, yeah. not not because they can stop it they don't have any hope in stopping it but they can at least evacuate some people yeah and she's she says she's seen it a hundred times before so that's depressing um but she says i just hope some people can escape we've lost precious hours and I'm sorry that I can't do more. And Superman is very Superman, as he says to her, you've done what you could, Dusk. We'll never be able to thank you enough. Turns on the lights, and we are in a room full of superheroes. Now, PJ, how many can we name? Right, so top left corner, Robin. Easy. There we go. Uh, the upper platform, Jade, Obsidian, Green Lantern, uh, Impulse, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Firestorm, Flash. Are they the Wonder Twins? The Wonder Twins. The Wonder Twins are there. Okay. Uh, then the lower below that is where the Legion of Superheroes are with the Ray and Superboy. Uh, 
Uh, and also, who's that above Superboy? That is... Uh, is that... I think that's Gypsy. It is Gypsy, yeah. Yeah, in the costume she was wearing in Crisis Times 5. Indeed. Yeah. And then we go down another platform. This is where things get a little trickier. So, uh, uh, they say uh, his name. The the guy on the far right above Miss, uh, next to Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Uh, Tachyon. Tachyon, thank you. Uh, uh, and then below them is Maxima. Maxima, who was a Superman villain who then reformed and joined the League for this era. And then um, Amazing Man 2? I don't... I have no idea who he is. <laughs> I'm just going off what I've read at the DC Encyclopedia. I think that's Amazing and Man 2. Wildcat... I'm skipping over one for a second. Guy Gardner, uh, Fire and Ice. And then behind Wildcat and Guy Gardner, Dr. Polaris is just stood there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Supervillain. Magnetic supervillain, Dr. Polaris. uh, We will touch upon that as well. Uh, I have to imagine that might have been something that was in one of the tie-in issues or something. uh, We have um, the Marvel family. Yep. Captain, Captain Junior and Mary. And then uh, right on the bottom. So Superman, I know him. Uh, Jean and Wonder Woman. Uh, Phantom Stranger. Phantom Stranger. Uh, The Alpha Centurion. Alpha Centurion. And then in the far left, I have seen this character before. I cannot for the life of me remember who they are. It's not a different costume for Dr. Light, is it? Oh, it could conceivably be... Okay, I'm going back to the DC wiki. Okay. Because <laughs> my first thought was, it's Magdalene. And I was like, no, that's that's an Avenger. That's. <laughs> oh, yeah, but d- yeah, you're right, though. does look a bit like them. Yeah. Uh, right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Edge of your seat. Final night. I think I've seen this character in the DC Encyclopedia, which is really it's amazing how much that how much heavy lifting that book is doing. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. The final night, issue one. Where is the list of characters? Uh, we, we are. A, Here yeah. we go. Okay. Uh, Alpha Centurion, Dusk. Uh, hmm. No, that's a doctor. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, this is amazing. This is edge of your seat. I think it is Doctor Light. Okay, let's just say I it's Doctor Light. Doctor Light is listed as one of the characters appearing in the issue, so I think that is Doctor Light in just in a costume I am not familiar with. Well, I I haven't seen uh, a different Doctor Light in this storyline, so I think we have to assume that it, that that has to be yeah. by process of, of elimination. Okay, that is not the first time we're going to struggle with characters in this series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're all just, uh, this massive collection of superheroes are just kind of uh, uh, chilling in, in this big warehouse sort of, sort of place. Yeah, they've, they've just been listening to Dusk and now Superman turns to them and says, right, now it's up to us. And then introduces Dr. Kitty Faulkner of Star Labs to tell them more. May I, can I ask a quick question of you, PJ? You can. In given that this, te- given that they're technically we don't have the league we know and love right now, mm. does this mean that Nuclon, Obsidian, Ice, Metamorpho are they the league at this point? Them and a few more, I believe. Yes. And why aren't they all of them present then? Where's Nuclon is what I want to because know. Because Stuart Immonen didn't want to draw them. 
can't think why. I mean, Nuclon. Um, okay, and my next question then, PJ. Uh, in this in this image, we have Superman, Jean, Wonder Woman, Kyle, and Wally. Yeah. What What's really their relationship at this point? Because obviously Jean, uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, old, old friends and colleagues. But like, do they really know Kyle and Wally that much at this point? Um, they know Wally, because Wally has been Kid Flash and then the Flash since he was a child. Um, yeah. Kyle, I think, is just there because they've called in everyone. I think this might have been during the brief period when Kyle was on the Titans. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Maybe. So uh, Impulse was on the Titans at the same time as as Kyle. Um, and I think Jade was too... Maybe no, I might have made that up actually. But yeah, that, this is just one of those crossover things, isn't it? We need superheroes. <laughs> Let's <laughs> put them all in there. Yeah, it, it, it's something we see time and time again in both Marvel and DC. It's when you put out the call and every kind of A through G lister kind of turns up. Yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. This this is very a very nineties crossover idea, isn't it? Let's just stick as many people on the page as we can. Um, including, as you, uh, sorry, PJ, as you rightly said before I interrupted, uh, Dr. Faulkner. Yeah. Yeah, so Superman brings her in to explain more, and she said, well, look, we, we don't know much. Dusk's story does explain some odd astronomical events that the uh, Mauna Kea Observatory, I might have butchered that, recorded. Um, and then the Ray's like, where's Mauna Kea? And... Superboy says, why are you dim ray? Home of super telescopes and yours truly, Superboy. And someone shushes him quite rightly because he's being real obnoxious. Yeah, uh, and also um, I think um, you dim ray might actually be my activation phrase. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think any human being would ever utter those words in that combination. <laughs> Not even to the ray. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go crush capitalism. <laughs> Just hurry up. <laughs> uh, but but they do have, uh, thanks to their super satellite imagery, uh, uh, satellite telescope imagery, uh, we can see like a kind of blurry black ripple out in space, uh, yeah. kind of coming towards Earth, basically. Uh, it's massive. Massive, 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 and it is absorbing all light and energy, and it's heading straight for the sun, basically. Yeah. In fact, uh, it will be within touching discs within six hours. So that's not much time. And it then really of course, isn't. And then, of course, Brainiac has to be Brainiac, and, and I do love Brainiac, and I'm glad we're actually getting some time with the Legion at this point, to be honest. <laughs> we haven't touched on them much yet. Uh, it says, if I may add, I doubt we'll get any further data. Dusk ship never recorded information about the Sun Eater, and your world's technology is so crude, I was lucky to be able to construct a basic U-Tran device for her. Thank thank you. <laughs> I <laughs> doesn't really add much. Um uh, Wonder Woman's basically like, uh, okay, well, we either have to uh, repel it or disperse it. Uh, Dusk says, well, look, everybody keeps failing. And then Barda just goes, well, you know, you didn't, you know, everyone's failed because they didn't have new Genesis to help them in the past. Uh, besides, uh, Miss Miracle will just create a boom tube and teleport it away. I love that she, she just volunteers him so matter-of-factly and he's got this brilliant look on his face of, hang on a second... <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a question for you pj like um we see a few boom tube generators mm. 
in the pages of JLA. Or maybe not a few, but, you know, enough. To the point where I'm like, okay, a boom tube generator is, uh, you know, like a like a, a piece of kit that the new the new gogs kind of carry around. You yeah. know, they're not they're not like Pez dispensers, but they are, you know, they're they're, they're an item. They're common enough. Um, at this point, it, the fact that Mr. Miracle has a boom tube generator is that like. I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like, is it is it like somebody just having a gun? They're very common. Or was it actually like a noted element of Mr. Miracle's powers, quote unquote? I think Mr. Miracle has always had one in, in his appearances. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think they're fairly common for New Gods characters, but especially Mr. Miracle, I believe. Okay. You know, he's the ultimate escape artist, so which still oh. is one of my favourite descriptions of a superhero character. So cool. <laughs> so cool. Um, but yeah, so it's basically like... Uh, uh, yeah, I'll just... Um, uh, he's like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, I guess. Uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll make a, I'll make a boom tube, and we'll yeah. just, uh, we'll just suck it. You know, we'll suck the sun eater away to the other side of the universe. And he says, but I'll need some help funneling the sun eater, which is where Captain Atom stands forward and says, "Choose your team, Miracle, Captain Atom, and the Justice League at your service." So Captain Atom apparently leads the Justice League. Now, 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 <laughs> when we get to it. This story cannot take place before Morrison's first JLA story arc. It just cannot. It it cannot take place before. Okay, well, we now I'm not going to we're not going to discuss it yet in any more detail than that because that's spoilers for upcoming issues, but there are certain things that are going to happen in this book that mean there is no way it can take place before JLA 1. So, this is nonsense. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm really I'm 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 confused already, PJ, because we we've gained uh, Captain Axum, who wasn't present on the previous page anyway. Yeah, uh, and we've gained Amanda Waller. Yep, stood next to Doctor Polaris. I'm all, as a casual observer, I'm already a little confused as to why we're not. You know, as weird as it was that there was that weird version of the Justice League at the start of Morrison's JLA. You know, the whole point about how there's like this group of D-Liskers running the league mm. and the, the Magnificent Seven are returning. That's a weird, interesting plot point. So it's weird to me that, that the weird D-Lisk team aren't here being like, we're the league. It's weird that you've got Superman in the room, but he's not heading the JLA. And now it's weird that Captain Axum has just stepped up and gone, <laughs> I'm in charge of the league. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there is there is a lot more to talk about with regards to this, but this this is where I think DC continuity first started becoming such a mess. <laughs> Bearing in mind, everyone, this is ten years out from crisis. Yeah, yeah, they've messed it up already. Anyway, we turn the page, and Superman is gathering another plan, uh, another set of heroes to for a second plan, a decoy he calls it. So he gets Ultra Boy, the Ray, Firestorm, Fire. Anyone else who can generate heat and light, an Alpha Centurion, we will have your spaceship, please. And you also have Sentinel on the page, who was also not on the previous pages. Yeah, um, I kind of like Sentinel's costume at this point. Yes. Um, I also I'm inc- I'm constantly baffled as to why Alpha Centurion gets as much page time as he does. <laughs> Um, I think Morrison has a weird soft spot for Alpha Centurion. Yeah. I think he's popped up in a couple of weird cameos. Um, 
He's always struck me as a bit of a nothing character. Very I don't know much why so, he's... yeah. Yeah. I... <laughs> but I think they needed a spaceship, and they were like, oh, he's got one. We'll bring him in. Uh, it's good to see the Ray, uh, who's always very, very striking. Yeah, always like um, the Ray. Always like the Ray. I like Ultra Boy as well. He's one of my favourite uh, Legion characters, because I like that he's got... His thing is he's got, like, five or six different superpowers he can access, but only one at a time. I was going to ask about that, like... Yeah, because he's got the weirdest costume in the world, mm. and it does it doesn't give any clues as to what his abilities actually are. Yeah, I think he can do super strength, invulnerability, energy blasts, a few others as well. But yeah, he can only use one of them at a time. So if he's using his super strength, he's not invulnerable. For example, sure. It's weird to me that Kyle is in this panel, and yet Superman's not even mentioning him by name. And they have met. They yeah. have met. I've got. They meet within two or three issues of Kyle's first appearance. Superman turned up in Green Lantern. It's just so weird to me. It's like they are the Magnificent Seven. So many times throughout Morrison's run, it was driven home the fact that like Superman and Kyle are like Omega level, like in terms of power. Uh, it's just so weird that like they're not equi- they're not like good friends at this point, or like even close colleagues. Yeah, um, it's unusual. Yeah. And then Wonder Woman says, well, shouldn't someone talk to the Spectre? Maybe he could help because, yeah, cosmic powers. And Guy Gardner's like, nah, he'll be happy if everyone was as dead as him. I do like how... I said, like is a strong word, but, like, Guy Gardner is basically just... I guess having an asshole around, it, that's, like, the only purpose he serves. It's just to turn up and be... He's just fulfilling the same role whenever he's there. Yeah. Like, from a storytelling perspective, I guess it's useful to have one guy who's negative yeah. in a room. <laughs> and I like Superman's response, which is like, no one asked you, guy. And then he asked him to just start organising ground teams to meet with Batman on the roof in half an hour. And then Batman just steps out of the shadows as Superman says, we have to be ready to deal with panic if it comes to that, but let's hope for the best. And Batman says, and be prepared for the worst. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the triply weird thing is that I believe Steel is in that panel. Only yeah. in my collected edition, he's been coloured like Jean Jean. Yes, he has. <laughs> he's hold- it's Jean Jean's holding a big hammer. <laughs> it's powerfully strange, I have to say. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so uh, the League are... Well, not the League. Uh, the DC extended, extended superhero family are... Getting getting plans together, and then we see Jimmy Olsen uh, doing some TV reporting, which I believe he was doing at this time. Yeah, uh, and, and basically says they were holding a super summit. Uh, it's been gone on a while, and uh, I guess uh, we'll be able to shed. Uh, 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 we can only hope that new light will be shed on the subject by the time the sun rises in a little over three hours. Oh, poor dot, naive dot, dot. Jimmy. <laughs> uh. And then uh, we're off into space, PJ. Yeah, and we get this glorious half-page shot of a boom tube opening and Mr. Miracle surfing out on his little discs, closely followed by Dr. Polaris, Maxima, Captain Atom, Tachyon, and Cosmic Boy. It's it's a really cool panel, actually. I really like that. And a very weird lineup. Yes, that is true. That's It's a very 90s lineup. <laughs> and astonishingly... Wasn't... Um, th- although, I guess... I'm trying to cast my mind back. Was it the comic book called Extreme Justice. Yeah. It was a 
team which featured Captain Axum, Maxima, Booster Gold while he was wearing power armor. Yeah, I think so. And some other people. So I get. I guess there's a bit of a bit of a pedigree for having Captain Atom and Maxima together. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was she was on the Justice League for a lot of the '90s, like from the very early '90s. I think she was she was a Superman villain in the late '80s and early '90s, and then she reforms and joins the Justice League. Certainly by 1992 and the death of Superman, she's on the league. Sure. Um, and then I think she was just there throughout until the Magnificent Seven came back. Yeah, just a, a weird, a weird time in comics. <laughs> um, and, and then we get a weird little interaction where we discover that Doctor Polaris, a villain, is is here because of, I guess, his connections to the Suicide Squad. Yeah, Captain Atom says he he cut a deal with Amanda Waller, and Polaris says there's there's no deal. She outlined the situation, and I volunteered. If we fail, it doesn't really matter if I'm in prison or not, does it? And I like that that a, a super villain is like. I gotta help save the world because I live in the world. <laughs> yes, indeed, and um, I, I, I guess interesting as well that we have like two magnetically powered individuals. Yeah, in this team, both wearing purple. Um, <laughs> purple is the color of Magne- Magneto. He has purple. And also, PJ, at this point in time, wasn't Tachyon technically High Father? Yeah, I think he was, wasn't he? They talk about that in JLA. Yeah, because I think High Father had ascended to be part of a quintessence. Yeah, uh, I was just curious what the power level level of Tachyon was, because I always kind of assumed that Tachyon was like insanely powerful. Of all the New Gods characters, he's probably the one I'm the least familiar with, to be honest. Yeah. Although I yeah. do like that he's constantly got Kirby Crackle in his wake in these issues, which is nice. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe he is High Father. Maybe he has like uh, near godlike power or whatever. But he, he's also just very quietly kind of following orders and and hanging out basically. Yeah, yeah. And Mister Miracle says, "Okay, Mother Box is ready. Let me know when you see it." And then they see it, and there's this brilliant sort of black swirling computer generated art void just in the middle of space. <laughs> Bearing in mind, this was the, you know, uh, the uh, Morrison JLA run debut just a few months later. And in those early, uh, uh, earlier glory, glorious days, there was a lot of like CGI titles and a lot of early Photoshop work. Mm. We were we were all drunk on power, basically. Yes. Yeah. So it is a good ripple, though. It is. I really like it, actually. It works in this in this instance because it is just blackness in space and and yeah you've got your little characters in front of it and then they start the plan mr miracle says let's not disappoint the fans back home and maxima says maxima never disappoints she was the arrogant one um (laughs) i think her deal as a superman villain was she was trying to force superman to be her husband yes and didn't she live on war world for a bit something like that yeah yeah also i thought she was like super strong and could fly uh, yeah, and also whatever powers she has here. <laughs> yes, because I, I'm not sure what she's bringing to the party here, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're going to try and funnel all their energy into the Sun Eater, force it into the boom tube, and send it to the edge of space. So the boom tube opens, and then we cut to another platform, sort of floating. I guess this is the Alpha Centurion spaceship, actually, isn't it? Yes. Floating yes. near ish to the Sun. Where they, where Superman can see the boom tube forming 
with his telescopic vision, I assume, because he's seeing what's happening. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, Alpha Centurion says, uh, you know, something's wrong. Uh, he he can he's detecting like a dimensional something, and before he can finish, there's a massive explosion. Uh, and then we cut to well, we're back on Earth, and we see somebody falling to their death out of a skyscraper. It's a hell of a cut. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Phantom Stranger is uh, up, you know, in in the apartment. There's a shattered window, and he is talking to the Spectre, who is inside a mirror. Yeah, uh, this... and it's basically driven this man to suicide. Yeah, this guy's just leapt from the building and. The Spectre says he saw the reflection of his true self. There are a few secrets from the Spectre. And the Phantom Stranger says, okay, well, you know why I'm here then. And the Spectre's like, yep, everyone's going to die. I can't do anything. And uh, the Spectre's like, no, sorry. And the Phantom Stranger is like, well, you, you can do anything. Don't be an idiot. Uh, uh, but you won't. I know you won't. And he says, it's always the same with you. It's all, You're always like this. Why won't you, why won't you help? Um and the Spectre goes, well, you know, if if God has decided that humanity is to die, then who am I to to interfere, basically? Yeah, and just sort of fades away. And wigs out. Yeah. Now, the, PJ, the Phantom Stranger hmm. has been a member of the League yep. over the years, uh, as evidenced by his appearance in JLA Avengers, where he steps in to help. Yeah. But... At the same time, the Phantom Stranger at this point is also a member of the Quintessence. Yes. Kind of like godlike power kind of territory sort of thing. I'm honestly never 100% sure what the Phantom Stranger's power set is. I haven't... I've only ever encountered him in books like this, big event books. I've never encountered him in anything that sort of goes into a bit more detail about him. Yeah, there's... I don't... I think even in even in continuity, I say even in continuity because that's changed quite a few times. Uh, he was quite heavily retconned mm. in the New Fifty Two, so I, and that doesn't even scanned anymore. But yeah, it's like he's he's just mysterious. Um, uh, yeah, uh, but I kind of always got the vibe that the quintessence were kind of very powerful, kind of like cosmic order kind of levels of power. Yeah, but. But here he is kind of doing doing some grunt work, so I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But let's not dwell. Let's just go back to outer space where a portal opens and the heroes who were trying to suck the Sun Eater into the boom tube appear as the boom tube explodes behind them. And they're all very confused. And Captain Adam says, was that, did you save us, Mr. Miracle? And he's like, uh, no, no, the Sun Eater was playing havoc with the boom tube. And Tachyon says, oh yeah, that was me. I could see what was about to happen. So I stepped between seconds and moved everyone a safe distance away. And Dr. Polaris says, oh, a handy ability. Rife with possibilities. Because even when he's saving the world, he's thinking about crime. <laughs> um, Yeah, and again, I, I, I don't know a lot about Tachyon. I, I find mm. it weird that, again, he's kind of like the uncertain one, yeah. I suppose. Um. But yeah, so apparently uh, the explanation is that the uh, Sun Eater doesn't exist entirely in our dimension, which kind of explains why the um, uh, why why the boom tube wasn't working on it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and 
Yeah, so then Superman says, well, okay, it's our turn then, in a panel where he has a very old man's face for some reason. (laughs) Um, So if we can't send it away, we'll have to lure it away. So the plan for the second team is that Green Lantern is going to create a massive sphere and then everyone else is going to pour their fire powers into it and create a second sun. Yep, basically. (laughs) Uh, And and so they, they all lift their arms aloft and kind of pour... Pour their energy into this thing. Their light and heat energy, all except Superman and Ultra Boy who are shooting heat out of their eyes. I'm really wondering if the version I'm looking at, PJ, has been... How much of it has been recoloured? Yeah? I'm really wondering this because there's a... There's a there's an element across... There's an element of slightly digital colouring yeah. across all of it, which I'm... Wondering if that was the case when it originally saw print. Um, well, there certainly is on the second sun and some of the power effects that they're mm. uh, that they're putting out in my trade. Oh, so maybe maybe it was the case. I was just uh, just curious. Mm. I, I feel like I don't think this is a series DC would bother recoloring. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, probably not. Um, but uh, we cut to uh, Franks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, du Soleil. Yeah, two suns. And then I don't know what the rest of that speech bubble is. Uh, c'est, c'est quoi? Uh, but but why? Uh, a plan? Uh, uh, an infernal, in, infernal for the culture of France? Something like that. I guess. Um, yeah. But they made a second son. Yeah, and the the Alpha Centurion does say, "Well, the, the ship's shields aren't going to hold much longer." And Superman just shouts, "Well, we can't stop now. It is working. They are drawing the Sun Eater to the smaller Sun, and it's about to envelop it." And then they all get sucked into the darkness, and they have to quickly get out of there. Uh, 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 and and they do. <laughs> they they kind of escape, and everybody is. Uh, really, really cold. Like, yeah. like, kind of just really cold. Um, once again, Kyle is present, but gets no dialogue at all, which yep. is kind of, kind of a shame. Uh, but thankfully, um, a lot of dialogue is reserved for Alpha Centurion, which is <laughs> buck wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who uh, says he's got he's got a medical unit inside that will help people? Yeah, and then Superman tries to fly towards the Sun Eater, saying he has to stop it, and Firestorm holds him back, saying, look, you, you wouldn't be able to do it. All it would do is drain your life energy away. And Superman says, but the Earth, and Firestorm says, needs you alive. Which, yeah. is Which is fair, but also, at this point in time, isn't, like, Firestorm like, just Roddy? I think so. He's talking very seriously. Well, it's a very serious matter. I know. I just I kind, of, I kind of thought Ronnie would be a bit more. I thought Ronnie would be talking like Tachyon, and Tachyon would be talking like like Firestorm, if that makes sense. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it looks like this plan has failed as well. The Sun Eater has already eaten this little sun and is going back for the main big sun. Although that's not entirely laid out on this page, is that is the what I'm inferring. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, A team has failed. B team has failed. Uh, Dusk is standing alone, delivering cryptic, prophetic messages about how it's all doomed. Um, she mentioned, yeah, she sort of says she allowed herself to get some hope up on this one, and then she shouldn't have done that because it's all failed. And then we go to the roof of Star Labs where Batman is stood with uh, Wonder Woman, Robin, Big Barda, The Flash. One of the Legion, is that Lightning Lass? 
could be, or is it isn't it isn't Black Canary? Or it in might that. be Black Canary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wildcat and John, and Batman just tells them to get ready. And uh, we see Jimmy Olsen and a bunch of panicked civilians, and everyone's saying like, you know, good God, like we've got to run, we've got to run. Uh, but they basically said like, you know, oh, a moment ago there were two sons, but but now, but now something's happening. We can't quite see what it is. And then we cut to Lex Luthor in Speedos. <laughs> That's why we all here. <laughs> uh, that looks worth the price of entry alone. Uh, and I guess he's just got married. Yeah, he's, he's on his honeymoon with someone called Erica. And he says, oh, honeymoon's over. I'm calling in our private plane. We're going back to Metropolis. Because there is a full solar eclipse. Yeah, and it's a nice mirroring of the first panel from the book where it was Metropolis on a lovely sunny day. Now Metropolis, same shot, plunged into darkness. And and then we have a fully black page and a single caption that says, Mankind's not going down without a fight. From our friend and yours, Lex Luthor. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, that is the end of issue one of The Final Night. <laughs> Can I, just before I forget, this is a complete non sequitur, but I, I am reminded of uh, in the pages of New 52. No, sorry, no, no, pages of 52. Mm. Not New 52. Um, I know there were four writers on that project, one of whom was Morrison. Mm. And it's a little hard sometimes to pin down who wrote what. But we get the return of Animal Man. Yep. uh, Which makes me think Morrison wrote this. And at one point, Animal Man finds the migratory roots of Sun Eaters. And is able to tap into the Sun Eaters' powers to gain the ability to travel on a cosmic level. Oh, okay. Yeah, I basically remember that, yeah. <laughs> Which is fun, actually. Uh, but sorry, but I, I, I was a complete non-secretary and I had no other place for it. <laughs> yeah, so do you know what? I, I did enjoy revisiting this issue. I'm not. It's not one of the greats. You know, it's fun. Um, there's, there's some good stuff in it. I, I can see why... Yeah, we've got more issues to cover, but you can sort of see why Final Night isn't maybe remembered quite so fondly these days. But I had fun reading that. Uh, I I had fun I had fun reading it. I, I I agree I agree. I think I think mostly because um, it was something very new to me, uh, and it is from a very interesting time in in DC to me. Uh, at the same time, um, it's quite flat. I think yeah. Um, for the major events that are happening. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of spectacle. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I like. I feel like they're sort of trying to get some key points out of the way that maybe would normally happen later on in mm. any other crossover. Like, we'll get it in the boom tube. Oh no, that hasn't worked. We'll build a second sun. You almost feel like the second sun in if anyone else had done this would be something they did in like issue two. Or something, mm-hmm. but the fact they just do bam both of those things quick succession issue one we failed oh okay let's go destroy the earth um, that's where we are and say I, I can't I might be wrong but I feel like this is a series that does get a little bit better as it goes along uh, it's been a while but yeah they sort of just put all the cards out in issue one and go right we've done that let's just get on with the story well I, I think this is something you brought up PJ uh, uh, when you may have already already talked about it but. Um... Uh, sorry, when you talked about the series in an earlier earlier episode, but it is interesting that there isn't a villain 
mm. as such. Like it, it, it's more that we are dealing just with complete environmental collapse, um, and we're going to be seeing more of that as we go along. Uh, and I, I do at least appreciate that the they're approaching it logically, if that makes sense. Like they're going, okay, so this big bonks has come to eat the sun. We have a dude who can literally teleport stuff. Why don't we just teleport it away? Okay, we have a bunch of heroes who can manipulate energy. Why don't we try and create a second sun? Oh, and we also happen to know the right hand of God <laughs> who can do anything. Yeah. Why don't we ask him to fix it? So I do at least appreciate that they took the threat to its logical conclusion. Yeah. Which is something. So yeah, I, I, I admire that. Yeah, and I think, as I say, I think issue two and three then will do something slightly different with it. Obviously, there's still attempts to stop it, but it deals with more than that. And yeah, I, uh, I'm i looking forward to do looking at the rest of it, issues two and three and four and the other one. It does, like, it, 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 it reminds me of a similar... Uh, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. It, it brings to mind what I think are some of the weaker aspects of the DC universe yeah. to me personally. Uh, this is not really, this is just a, a personal thing, but I, I've always felt that like DC's highs are higher and their lows are lower than Marvel, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Like, uh, you know, for the longest time, like uh, before the rise of the cinema- Marvel Cinematic Universe, like DC had the flagship characters like yeah. DC had Superman, Batman, these massive A-listers um, who were universally recognizable. Um, but but then they have a lot of like G-listers, like a lot of like kind of, I don't massively care about a lot of DC universe characters outside of the recognizable, the big, the big names really. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like I've got soft spots for some of them. I quite, I quite like Captain Atom, uh, but I think, again, largely because of his appearances in some of the animated shows, mm. which I think he's very well done in. Obviously, the Kirby characters, Mr. Miracle and the rest of the New Gods. I love Mr. Miracle so much. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is incredible. But, yeah, I don't I don't really care about, like, Ice Maiden and <laughs> Alpha Centurion. I don't, you know, I... I, I, I was struggling to remember his name even in the second half of reading that issue, you know? <laughs> I, I've i always felt that, like, uh, if you're writing a story, particularly a comic story, uh, you've, got, you've got a choice between writing necessary moments and writing cool moments. Uh, and I think if you, if you have nothing but cool moments, I think you get, oh, I don't know, Issue one of Young Blood by Rob Leefield, which is like nothing but spectacle and means nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you write nothing but uh, necessary moments, I think you get this story where every beat is in place to move the story ahead. Yeah. But but there's very little flair to make it interesting along the way. And I do think that this is one of Morrison's strengths yeah. to tie it back to Morrison because like... You know, you could bring to mind something like the Heaven on Earth two-parter. And it's like the beats you need to hit is that the League are trapped in San Francisco. The moon is falling to Earth. Superman stops the moon falling to Earth. 
and then goes to San Francisco to help. <laughs> That's the necessary crap, but the cool crap is Superman wrestling an angel. Yeah. <laughs> which is just incredible. Yeah. Um, or, or Superman giving the moon magnetic poles. Oh, God, still the best moment. <laughs> you see, that's a story that kind of like sets my soul on fire. Yeah. Um, this is very functional. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Just kind of functional. Yeah, I'd agree with that. As I say, I don't think it's one of the greats. I I had fun <laughs> reading it. I'm, I'm interested to read the rest, uh, see... Because I only remember specific moments, really. I remember, well, largely the end and a couple of Batman-Superman interactions sort of in the middle um, mm. are the bits I really remember. So I'm, I'm looking forward to jogging the memory on everything else, uh, including who some of these damn characters are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very much trying to take this issue by issue so I can experience it in the moment. Mm. Uh, and despite my criticisms, I am... You know, very interested to see where it goes, if only because I know the significance this story ended up playing. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, like, it, clearly some big and very important stuff is going to happen. So, I, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, next week, final night part, not next week. We're a fortnightly podcast. Next fortnight's final night part two. It's a, it's a fortnightly fortnightly podcast exploring a weekly comic. For the moment. For the moment, yes. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, like, is is that it, PJ? I think it is. I think it is. There's not a lot to say about the issue that we haven't already said. Um, you know, keep in mind those continuity errors, everybody, The uh, <laughs> that this cannot take place before JLA issue one. <laughs> you see, I'm racking, my, I'm racking my brains because, yeah, like I said, I'm approaching this issue by issue. I, I, I've, I have a couple of questions. I've not. I, I've yet to pick up on any completely glaring continuity errors. It's. It's going. I think it will be made clearer to you as the story goes on. Um, the first hint of it is the Captain Atom leads the Justice League moment. Yes, but which, we'll, which is odd. We will get to the rest of it. Okay, well, now you see, now I'm doubly intrigued. <laughs> uh, PJ, who is your breakout star of, of the episode? Uh, Superman. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the Legion, Legion of Superheroes. I, just, I'm, I like that we're getting to spend a little bit of time with them. Um, I, I say honourable mention to the Alpha Centurion. No, he doesn't deserve it. Or he, uh, he turned he... up with a spaceship and then did nothing else. <laughs> um. I never thought I'd see the day where an ostensibly a Justice League comic would feature more dialogue from the Alpha Centurion than it would from Kyle. Um, <laughs> and he but... was in more panels than Wally was as well. I think the Flash <laughs> was only in one panel, wasn't he? Two panels. I, I guess my, my MVP would be Ultra Boy. Yeah. Uh, if only because he's got a weird-ass costume <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad he's making it work. He does, to be fair. Um, well, I guess on that note... Um, uh, welcome to a bold, a bold new era for the Justice League. Um, yeah, and the JLA cast. We've, we've. Well, actually, I say a new era. We're going even further into the past. But for all my griping, PJ, I am glad we're doing this. Yeah, Th me this too. is educational. Me too. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a fun little, little period. Of this, the next, the next four, another four episodes of this to go. Final night. Um, well, I guess, I guess, in which case, I should say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And another massive thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. 
And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I ramble on, you can catch us on social media. Although, yeah, I don't know. We're on social media. We know how, how much social mediaing are you doing these days, PJ? Not a huge amount. No, but I do occasionally dip in. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But we're around. If, if, if you, you want to say hi, I will always respond. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. He's very polite like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess on that note, PJ, would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Getting dark outside, John. I don't. Oh no. Right, you're right. We're, do- we're going into the winter months just because we start recording <laughs> yeah. this. Oh. Just as we're doing the final night. <laughs> I'm pressing stop.